Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.45 a.m. Central Standard Time. Holy smokes, man. It's the 7th of March, 2022. This is episode 556 of Bitcoin. And I like to start out, I'm trying to do this more often, to thank my uh, patrons and podcasting 2.0 people for supporting me, supporting this show, supporting what I do. I couldn't do it without you. Um, I would like to get more people being able to support this show in as little or large chunks as you know you can. So Podcasting 2.0, if you don't know, it's the way to go to support the show. So if you grab Breeze Wallet or Fountain App or Sphinx Chat app, you will be able to listen to this show inside those apps. And they're all for iPhone. And I think most of those are also available on Android. Um, <clears throat> you'll be able to listen to the show. And you have a Bitcoin Lightning Wallet embedded in there. And you can just stream me Satoshis while you listen to the morning news. And... You don't have to do anything special. All you have to do is get one of those apps and search for Bitcoin and space dot, space dot, space dot, space dot. And if if you can find it and you subscribe to it, that's all you have to do. Then all then you just set your wallet to stream one minute, three minute, 10 minutes, you know, per uh, Satoshi. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Let me back up. One Satoshi per minute, three Satoshis per minute, 10, 100, whatever you want. And you can also boost while you're doing the show, which <clears throat> is kind of cool because on some of the metrics of these uh, podcasting apps for uh, podcasting 2.0, I can see exactly where in the show you boosted. So I can tell what it is that you actually liked. So, and if you don't want to do that, I do have Patreon. Um, if you want to go with the more traditional legacy financial route, you can do that from uh, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast sign up for like a buck a month. I mean, if I could get like, you know, several hundred people to sign up for a buck a month, dude, I'm, I'm, I can do this for the rest of my life. I, I, I can bring you the news from Bitcoin with a, with, with definitely a Bitcoin centric view. I do every once in a while have to talk about the shitcoin world because sometimes there are some impacts like I'll be doing that this morning. Uh, we'll be talking about Andre Cronje and his cadre of whatever you want to call him, uh, jumping ship and running with a rug pull and all that kind of stuff. And I do the shitcoin stuff because, like I said, sometimes it does impact what's going on, and sometimes it's just because it's it's a a a, a, a way for me to go see. I told you so. It's an I told you so moment, and it's going to be an I told you so moment a couple of times today. <clears throat> so patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast will get you uh, legacy rails. And if you want to go back and you don't want to, if you want to go back to Bitcoin support, 
for me and you don't want to do podcasting 2.0 and you really don't like legacy finance, I, I still have my tipping me page. That's T-I-P-P-I-N dot me, T-I-P-P-I-N dot me forward slash at ghost of Nunya, all one word. And it will throw up a lightning network invoice and you can, you can pay it. You know, somebody dropped me like, I don't know, was it like 35 bucks sometime over the weekend. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And if you do decide to use tippin.me forward slash at ghost of Nunya to uh, throw me a tip or two, uh, please go ahead and include like who you are. If you, if you want, if you don't, that's, that's cool. But like this one, you know, I can't, I, I was just now searching through my uh, DMs and notifications to see if I can find the gentleman who sent me that. And I cannot find the name and it's 550 in the morning. I, my mind is barely able to turn over, much less be able to remember shit that happened this weekend. So my apologies for not being able to remember your name. Please include your name so that I can give you a shout out on the show. I would love to be able to start doing that as well. Um, and <clears throat> that also is part of when I've been, I have been asking uh, people to help me co-produce the show. Like, what do you want on the show? W what is it that you want to see? And people have been writing back. In fact, um, it seems that, uh, let's see here. And I do remember this one, Cypher Wealth. AKA BI triple X I N. I love the way it just, that sounds like a, a, a radio radio name, man. Uh, Bixen BI triple X I N. He says that he wants uh, me to maybe do some micro lessons like Scott Adams does. Scott Adams being the author of Dilbert. And I had no idea what micro lessons were. I, I had no idea Scott, you know, Adams was doing these types of things. So I'm going to try for this gentleman this week to uh, start doing micro lessons. And I'm going to start with probably mycorrhizal fungi in the soil, what it does and how it works. And uh, the Scott Adams stuff are like, they're like 10 minute, you know, 10 minutes long, something like that. I'm going to try to do them no longer at all, no longer than 10 minutes uh, and do these in bite-sized chunks because if I get somebody who says they want something on the show. By God, I'm going to try to put it on the show. So uh, B-I-Triple-X-I-N, be looking for that sometime this week. I'm hoping to, to do it tomorrow or Wednesday. Uh, also, let's see, what who else is here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, somebody has asked me to read um, the Bitcoin Optech newsletter as part of the show. Uh, that is a weekly newsletter from some of the developers out of Bitcoin. And I have this or last week's Bitcoin Optech newsletter prepped and ready to go for today. So again, when you guys ask me to do something, unless it's like read, you know, a dick joke or something like that, then I'm going to try to put it in the show because I do want this show to be something that you and I produce together. And if there's something that you want in the show, please let me know, man. It's like DM me, you know, notify me on Twitter somehow. Um, uh, you can go to, like, you can actually message me through Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. Uh, I'll try to have more, you know, better, more and better, you know, ways to be able to, to get you uh, a, a route 
to give me information of what you want to see in this show. Now, with all that said, let's start this, uh, let's crank this up and start with Patricia Arquette's tweet, which is no longer there. Yes, Patricia Arquette. It was like half a million followers. She's an actress slash activist. Yes, she has pronouns in her bio, or at least if she doesn't, she probably should, because yes, we're we're talking about that. We're talking about a Wojak, some woke-ass person. And what she said was, kick Russia out of NATO. Well, Patricia, I hate to be the first one to tell you about it, and I'm probably not, because you did delete the tweet. Uh, Russia's not in NATO. Russia's part of the Warsaw Pact. So... Yeah, kicking Russia out of Russia out of NATO is problematic at best because they're not in it. And well, one of the one of the going theories as to why Putin is so pissed off at this point and has attacked Ukraine is that uh, people in NATO were trying to get Ukraine to join as a member nation of NATO, which puts yet another you know NATO nation wrapped around Russia that actually shares a border with Russia itself. Not saying that Putin's a good guy. I'm not all of, you know, I don't like what's going on. But, you know, when when the Cuban Missile Crisis kicked off and Khrushchev put missiles 70 miles off the coast of Florida down in Cuba, we didn't react so well. Now, we didn't invade a nation. I will say that. We definitely didn't start dropping bombs somewhere. But we did blockade the living crap out of Cuba, and that blockade has never ended. Cuba is still effectively blockaded. You can't, as an American, there are no Cuban products coming in to the United States. Travel between the United States and Cuba is non-existent, except unless you are fleeing Cuba and want to, you know, get on a raft and risk risk your life in the waters uh, between Cuba and Florida. So I'm just saying that it's, you know, Russia ain't the only one that reacted, you know, relatively violently to uh, having having their borders encroached by weaponry. And, you know, nobody wants that. <clears throat> okay. So, Patricia, I'm sorry, but no, it's not, that's just no, never going to happen. Uh, LN Tweetbot. This is interesting. I don't expect this Twitter account to last very long. Why? Well, I can go to ln-tweetbot.com and I can have, <laughs> I can write, type in a message and I can pay that message with a Lightning Network invoice. And I paid 16 sats to send running Tweetbot as a message, which still has yet to actually go live as a tweet on LN Tweet at LN Tweetbot's uh, Twitter page. So I don't know. But <laughs> it apparently just got spun up you know, in the last couple of days. You can, if you want, go to ln-tweetbot.com and play with it. What I think is funny about it is that the guy that, or the people that uh, did LN Tweetbot understand that it's relatively worthless because when I pay the invoice or when I ask for an invoice, it says, uh, thank you, or when I pay the invoice, it says, thank you for using this relatively worthless bot. And honestly, it is. I mean, why do I want to pay 16 Satoshis? for a tweet that I could send myself. I don't know. There's just, the thing about it is, is that there's something here. There is the ability to use lightning in all these really, really fun ways. And even if they're not, you know, if they don't have a lot of value, that's okay. 
There are lots of experimentation in the world from science, mathematics, and physics, and all kinds of shit that essentially don't do dick, but they prove some kind of point. It's an entry point to being able to do something else. So why do I think this uh, this thing is not going to last very long? Well, <laughs> probably because if this is 100% automated, I can just type in a message that is like, I love Russia or something like that. Or, um, you know, like, I don't know, defame uh, LGBTQ plus or something like that. Something that is definitely going to go against the rules of Twitter and then they're going to shut that tweet bot down. So just saying, it is there though. I did pay an invoice, paid 16 sats for running tweet bot. Um, just, just saying it's out there and it's kind of fun. It's, it's actually kind of fun. Now getting into the, the serious stuff of the day. <clears throat> Tweet from Anton Nell. Andre and I have decided that we are closing the chapter of contributing to the DeFi slash crypto space. There are around 25 applications and services that we are terminating on the 3rd of April, 2022. Most notably, yearn.fi keeper.network, multichain.xyz, chainlist.org, solidly.exchange, bribe.crv.finance, which seems to be something out of curve. Uh, unlike previous building in DeFi sucks rage quits, this is not a knee-jerk reaction to the hate received from releasing a project, but a decision that has been coming for a while now. Thank you to everyone that supported us over the past few years. <laughs> on this is Anton Nell doing the tweet, but he's also talking about Andre. And when he mentions Andre, he's talking about Andre Cronjay, which notably started the whole. You know, I, he's he's being note he's being called the Godfather of DeFi, and I you know it's Yearn dot Finance and all that stuff. Remember the sushi and all that crap and the trading of food tokens for other food tokens so that you could get some kind of uh, APY. Yeah, that's, that's these guys and they're calling it quits. They're saying goodbye. Gee, can't imagine why. I mean, honestly, they've caused probably some of the most heinous wealth rug pulls in the space. Maybe not them themselves. You know, they didn't do the rug pulling themselves, but they have a janky ass system that almost anybody with the intelligence to be able to look at these quote unquote smart contracts are able to completely manipulate and completely just drain the liquidity out of all the pools. And it's been going on since the summer before last. So they're calling it quits. I mean, they're just taking off. Thankfully, we have Shara Malwa, who's writing for Coindesk, Phantom Ecosystem Coins DeFi value locked plunges after developer exit. So she's going to be able to tell us more. Add developer exits to the list of fundamental issues that could make or break tokens that power crypto projects. Told you. I know. I know. You guys are gagging. It's okay. It's okay. This is a not, I told you so moment. Tokens of the Phantom ecosystem dropped as much as 33% in the past 24 hours after influential developer Andre Cronjay called it quits on developing decentralized finance projects, a multi-billion dollar crypto sector that relies on smart contracts instead of third parties for providing financial services like trading, lending, and borrowing. 
Investors initially started to react as Cronjay, who served as an advisor to the Phantom Foundation from mid-2018, updated his LinkedIn bio to reflect the end of his tenure at the foundation last month. Business partner Anton Nell then confirmed the exit in a tweet. Quote, Andre and I have decided that we are closing the chapter of contributing to the DeFi crypto space, he wrote. FTM lost 30 cents in the following hours. The tweet went viral. Reactions were mixed, with some supporting the move and others seeing it as suspicious. FTM fell as much as 18% in the past 24 hours, dropping to a weekly low of $1.32 in early Asian hours before slightly recovering to $1.42 well, at the time of writing. The drop contributed to an exodus of the total value locked in phantom-based DeFi protocols, which have slumped 20% in the past 24 hours. TVL, total value locked, on decentralized exchange SpookySwap and lending platform Scream dropped over 21%, while recently released Solidly, which Cronjay was part of, has lost 42% in TVL, data from DeFi Llama shows. Phantom ecosystem tokens plunged with the drop in FTM prices, even though there's no apparent connection between their related projects and Cronjay. In the past 24 hours, SpookySwap's Boo token, Jesus, lost 16%, SpiritSwap's Spirit fell 21%, and Scream's Scream token tumbled 30%. Solidly's Solid tokens took the biggest hit, with prices dropping to as low as 80 cents on Sunday before recovering to a buck 29. The price is now down 92% from highs of $15 in February, data shows. Oh, yay. Overall, Phantom Ecosystem projects lost some $1.5 billion with a B in market capitalization data from analytics tool CoinGecko show. Meanwhile, some investors say Cronjay's exit would not mean the end of the projects he worked on because the underlying smart contracts continue to exist. Quote, while Cronjay's departure from crypto and DeFi is undoubtedly a great loss, the developer has helped build the projects in a way that will allow them to function without him, Dimitri Michuin, founder of a DeFi analytics company, HashX, wrote in a Telegram message to Coindesk, quote, <clears throat> since they are deployed as immutable smart contracts, there is no way to shut them down. So as long as there is a community to run them, the projects will survive. Yes, continue to survive, to rug the living shit out of people left and right, because that's exactly what having this wraith of a project will do. Or I should say several projects. No, guys, bullshit. You got in, you got rich, you punched out before the SEC could come and hound your ass. And if these guys are smart, they're going to figure out, you know, whether or not the country that they actually exist in is going to have the long arm of the SEC be able to bitch slap them or not. And if it is, they're going to bail from that country because the SEC is going to come after all of these people. Do I want that? Well, I think the SEC rather sucks myself. But when you do something like this, this is, these are obviously going to be regarded as securities in the eyes of the SEC if they aren't already solidly looked at by the SEC as securities. <clears throat> it's just a matter of time. If you, if you do stupid shit, expect stupid prizes. So DeFi, I, I, we've tried to warn you. And like NFTs, there's probably a place for something like DeFi, but not in its current state. 
it, it DeFi does, shouldn't look anything like this. It should actually have utility. It should actually perform a function in the real world. It should actually be able to be used to finance a house and not by, you know, to swapping tokens with other worthless tokens, with other worthless tokens so that you can activate a smart contract that gives you an APY so that you can get yet more tokens for more tokens for more tokens. That is just a circle jerk. No, it needs to be able to finance a business, buy a car, buy a house, do all those things that connect to the real meat space world. If it's just running around chasing each other's tokens, that's a Rube Goldberg machine, much like Ethereum. So stay as far away from it as usual. That's what I've always said. So let's go, let's move on. So you have KYC Bitcoin. Now what? Anthony Feliciano has it for Bitcoin Magazine. If you've spent time going down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin or bought Bitcoin from an exchange, then you have come across the term KYC or know your customer. You've also most likely participated in the process by handing over a ton of personal information to said exchange in order to purchase Bitcoin. After your purchase, you are holding what others call KYC Bitcoin. What does that even mean? It means that your identity is now tied to the purchase of that Bitcoin and the associated wallet address of where that Bitcoin resides as a UTXO, otherwise known as an unspent transaction output. So is KYC Bitcoin really bad? Well, if you place a high priority on privacy and freedom, then the short answer is yes. KYC Bitcoin is a major piece of identifying data that can be used to track your transactions. Many believe that KYC goes against everything a Bitcoin maximalist believes in. The average user of Bitcoin often knows no different. I will get into the personal preferences and tools later on for those who wish to know more later on. This is not meant to be a guide for privacy, but to inform people of tools that I have used that can hopefully help them regain some privacy. Performing a simple on-chain transaction of sending Bitcoin from address to one address to another is recorded on the Bitcoin public blockchain. If you have never done so or are curious, then I suggest looking at a Bitcoin block explorer such as mempool.space, where you can input Bitcoin wallet addresses and see their transaction histories. In addition to this public information, having gone through KYC with an exchange allows transaction information to be recorded by the exchange. They can attach that transaction to your ID and location, and they will know how much Bitcoin was bought and how much was sent to another wallet address. As stated earlier, many feel this is not an issue, but I feel it's important for both new and existing Bitcoin users to be aware of the information being shared with KYC exchanges. So how much of your Bitcoin should be no KYC? Well, there's no perfect formula, like 50-50 or 60-40. This goes back to, back to your needs and everyday usage of Bitcoin. If you already have KYC Bitcoin, it's up to you to determine if you want to keep it or sell it and try to acquire non-KYC Bitcoin. It is unwise to try and make already KYC'd Bitcoin hidden or otherwise private. If you're looking to acquire non-KYC Bitcoin, then the best idea would be to sell any KYC Bitcoin and then use tools like the ones listed below to try and maintain privacy best practices. As a personal preference, I lean more on the non-KYC Bitcoin privacy side. I don't believe any entity or governing body should know how or what I spend my Bitcoin on. 
That isn't to say I don't have any KYC Bitcoin, but I understand the risks I'm taking. It's easy enough for me to buy Bitcoin from an exchange rather than going through some additional hoops for privacy, such as those required to buy from BISC, a peer-to-peer -peer exchange. But when I am interested in privacy, I do consider such services. Another tool that I use to take back my privacy is Raspi Blitz, <clears throat> a Bitcoin and Lightning node. You can build this device at home running off of a Raspberry Pi, and the service that I use it with is Join Market, which utilizes CoinJoin. I use Electrum, another service in the Raspberry Blitz suite, to be able to create a new wallet with loads of new addresses, so when CoinJoin transactions are complete, I can send them to many addresses and not reuse addresses. This helps to reduce the deterministic hierarchy of my UTXO history something that many chain analysis companies use to track Bitcoin transactions. This is not meant to be a technical guide, but by using the two tools mentioned, I can create new and destroy old wallets as needed while continuing to send Bitcoin to my choosing. Now, this isn't foolproof. If I go and deposit Bitcoin back onto my exchange or any place that I KYC'd with because I want fiat, then essentially all the work I did can be undone. Why? Because reusing a Bitcoin address is the fastest way to reconnect all of the points in between. So, if you do end up using Join Market and Electrum, your ultimate end goal is to keep post-coin-joined KYC Bitcoin away from addresses and places where you have to KYC. In other words, keep your stacks separate. In the end, like everything else between privacy and freedom, Bitcoin falls into a conundrum as well. There's no perfect solution for each Bitcoin user, but one should familiarize themselves with how block explorers work, privacy tools such as join market, and how much information you are required to give up with performing a KYC. There is space for both KYC and non-KYC Bitcoin as well. Just find your balance and know to keep each separate. So there's a little bit of a smidgen of KYC Bitcoin, why it's important, why, you know, getting non-KYC uh, Bitcoin is also important and how one may go about doing that. So hope you enjoyed that one. Let's see what else we got here. Institutions increase exposure to grayscale Bitcoin trust as the GBTC discount nears, get this, 30%. Yashu Gola has it for Bitcoin Telegraph. Institutional investors are returning to accumulate grayscale Bitcoin trust. Why? As the discount prices to spot have risen by nearly 30%, says data on Glassnode. Since December 2021, some weekly sessions saw investors pouring in between $10 million and $120 million into Grayscale's flagship fund. Meanwhile, the biggest capital inflow, amounting to nearly $140 million, appeared in the week ending on February the 25th, as shown in the chart below. And yes, there's a chart below. It just, that's what the chart says. So we don't need to worry about trying to describe the chart. The GBTC trust attracted investments as global markets faced back-to-back -back shocks in the past few months. This includes a dramatic sell-off in the technology stocks, followed by Russia's invasion of Ukraine that left many fund managers with double-digit percentage losses. For instance, Kathy Wood's ARK Next Generation ETF, 
which holds $478 million worth of GBTC, crashed by nearly 45% year over year, primarily owing to its exposure in the sectors that suffered the most during the recent market turbulence, including technology and communication, which lost 43.14% and 27.9% respectively. But in November of 2021, ARCW added over 450,000 GBTC shares to its portfolio when their discounts were as steep as nearly 17.5%. Similarly, the Morgan Stanley Insight Fund held over 1.5 million GBTC as of September 30th, 2021, according to its securities filing with United States Securities and Exchange Commission. Its year-over-year performance as of March 6th, 2022 came to be around negative 43%. Both ARCW and CPODX underperformed as GBTC fell by 43% in the last 12 months. Nonetheless, neither ARCW or CPODX reported selling significant shares of GBTC. Many factors attribute to this underperformance of GBTC, including rising competition from exchange-traded funds in Canada. Unlike GBTC, ETFs allow investors for share redemptions, a process through which a fund can destroy shares based on demand-supply dynamics. Digital Currency Group, Grayscale's parent company, has attempted to reduce the discount by buying back GBTC shares, but its efforts have been mired further by the launch of ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF that holds futures contracts. This has ended up dislocating GBTC's price further away from Bitcoin's spot price. Now, Grayscale has been working on a discount killer switch through its attempts to convert GBTC from a trust fund to an ETF tied to Bitcoin's price. If the SEC approves Grayscale's application, it would prompt the GBTC discount to reset from its current discount levels back to zero. Nonetheless, the SEC has not approved a single spot Bitcoin ETF application citing risks related to price manipulation. In comparison, regulators in Canada and Europe have been more welcoming to physical Bitcoin-backed investment products. Investment management firm Investor Trip asserted that the SEC would eventually approve the spot ETF, quote, due to pressure from third-party supporters. Further quote, if approved, Grayscale will convert the trust into a spot ETF and the discount opportunity will no longer exist, it wrote in its analysis published on February the 14th. Conversely, analysts at Conservative Income Portfolio call GBTC an investment that is destined for zero, noting that its discount of net asset value of Bitcoin is not really relevant. Quote, it might be relevant from a shorter term bounce perspective as a measure of sentiment. Yeah, that's... That's not good. None of this is good for GBTC unless they can convert to a spot ETF. uh, This none of this is good for GBTC. And it raises a question in my mind after, you know, looking, I, I can't help but to look at Bitcoin price. I'm like you. You know, all, you know, all the people in all the podcasts that say, yeah, I don't look at the price. Oh, bullshit. You look at the price. Maybe you're not as concerned about the price as, you know, other people, but you look at the price. Come on, let's let's be real. And after looking at the price over the last few months, I I've said it before. I'll say it again, and I could probably get in trouble for it because am I a professional? No. Do I sit all day long and look at charts and try to, you know, pull out, uh, I don't know, books on on trading ETFs? No. 
But I got a gut feeling here. And my gut feeling is that somebody's manipulating the paper market that's in turn manipulating the actual physical price of Bitcoin. I know it's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow because it's like, oh, it shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't. But if you want to ask somebody who's been raked over the coals for years on this shit, go ask Peter Schiff what he thinks about gold price manipulation given paper ETF gold stocks. All right, that's what I'm saying. Anytime you get derivatives of price action as an instrument that is tradable, you're going to get manipulation in a market. That's just going to happen. I'm not sad about it as much as I'm looking at it going, yeah, this just looks like manipulation to me. This cycle feels different. And I'm not making a prediction on price. I'm just saying this cycle feels different. It looks different. There's just a whole bunch of different stuff about it. This is the first cycle that we've had ETFs. We had the GBTC, but that kind of was, A, was the only one. And B, eh, it really doesn't, it kind of acts a little bit differently. But then we got like five ETFs like last year. And we're three months into this new year. And here we are with this weird price action. So I think that there's manipulation. And further, there was a long time ago, there was a message that I picked up uh, through Bitcoin Twitter that showed a screenshot from a Telegram group and it was essentially these, now I don't know if these people are real. I don't know if it was just one, you know, a 12 year old trying to spook the market. I, I, there's no way to tell, but the message was that this person along with a whole bunch of other Bitcoiners were effectively manually manipulating the price market because they wanted to kill the wealth of a certain particular billionaire whose name was never mentioned. And they actually said, we're not going to mention the person's name but we're trying to destroy the wealth of that particular person. It kind of seems not, it's not clear, but to me, my gut feeling is that that person is Barry Silbert, the guy who started the GBTC because GBTC has basically been sucking swamp water ever since all this price action has started. And it's been months. This has been going on for months. This has been going on since last November. And probably before, but last November was where we saw $69,000 Bitcoin. And it's just been bleh ever since, right? You know, it's like this, this, we've got a second hill. We're on the downslope of the second hill. It's, it, it, the market just feels meh again. It's like after 2018, where it was just, oh my God, it just goes on and on and on. And then finally something exciting happens. I think that we are seeing price manipulation in the price of Bitcoin. I think it's coming out of the derivative uh, instruments that are the ETFs. And I think the people that are doing it are trying to destroy the GBTC. I know it's tinfoil haddish, it's conspiracy theory, but if all of that's true, then, uh, uh, then everything makes a lot of sense. If it's not true, then we're just in a boring ass market. Hey, let's run numbers. Flammable liquids running away. West Texas Intermediate up 6.3% to $122.96. 
Brent North Seas up is 6.11% to $125.36. Last night, Brent North Sea topped $130 a barrel, ladies and gentlemen. People are calling for $200 oil now. We were calling for two for $100 oil like last year. And now because of this whole Ukraine business, People are looking at 200. I saw somebody actually suggest $300 oil. You have any idea what that would do? That's, man, dude, unless you are making 100% of your money on oil and gas, this shit is an awful situation. And honestly, it's not all that great for the oil companies because of all the knock-on effects that they see on the parts of the economy that they have to interact with that don't depend on oil, well, that depend on oil, but not directly, indirectly. So like, you know, shipping oil by itself becomes a fuck ton more expensive. Why? Because diesel's $7 a gallon, let's say. That's not helpful for the gas companies. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but uh, it is what it is. In either event, natural gas is up 2.37% to $5.13. Gasoline, I know you guys are waiting for it, almost 5% to the upside, $3.71, ladies and gentlemen. Gold had topped $2,000, but is back down to $1,990 bucks after a 1.2% rise in its price. Silver up a half point. Platinum is up two and a half points. Copper is up one full point. Palladium is up nine points to 3,253 bucks. Agricultural futures are mostly up with wheat. Again, flying to the sky, 7% to the upside. Soybeans up 2.12%. Corn up 2.85%. Sugar is up two and a half percent. Coffee's down though, so that's good news, unless you're a coffee grower. Cotton is up a half. Rough rice is up a third of a point. Now, uh, let's see, where are we at? Uh, indices, Dow, futures. At this point, it's early enough for me to call them futures. Dow's going to open down 0.88%. S&P is down 0.84%. NASDAQ futures down almost a full point. S&P mini down almost a full point as well. Real money also down $38,426 after 217,000 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours, that's 9,000 transactions on average every hour on the hour with a measly scant 300 B, 300,000 BTC being sent in that 24 hour period. That's 12,367 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.36 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.012 BTC, or $464. Block times are stable, uh, targeted right around 10 minutes, uh, 10 minutes and four seconds. 0 0.067 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, nine and a half BTC taken overall in the past 24 hours in fees. With a 9.16% jump in hash rate, we're only back to 181.27 exahashes per second, ladies and gentlemen. The last difficulty retarget that I saw is going to be down point, uh, no, not point, 8.9% or somewhere around there. So a bunch of hash rate turned itself off. Why? Don't know. Chances are real good, though, that those that turned off their miners are those people that cannot make money on the electricity and their overhead 
at $38,000 Bitcoin. Just saying. Shitcoin indicator is Doge, smack at 12 United States pennies. 1,300 transactions are waiting on one block to clear. <clears throat> Market capitalization of Bitcoin stands at $734.5 billion, which is 5.61% of gold's market cap. And we can now only buy 19.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,976,558.64 of. And 3,472.9 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $134.4 million being run over 20,139 nodes that we can see, sporting 85,708 public payment channels, and 76.1% of that is being run over the 11,672 Tor nodes that we can see. And that's good news. Also, the end of idols. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We're going to start this one out with the promised Bitcoin Optech newsletter number 189. This was released March the 2nd, 2022. Uh, this week's newsletter describes a new proposed op evict op code and includes our regular sections with summaries of new releases and release candidates, etc., etc. So here it is, the proposed opcode to simplify shared UTXO ownership. Developer ZMNSCPXJ posted to the Bitcoin dev mailing list a proposal for an op evict opcode as an alternative to the previously proposed op tap leaf update verify or TLEV opcode. Like TLEV, op evict is focused on use cases where more than two users share ownership of a single UTXO, such as join pools, channel factories, and certain covenants. To understand how op-evict works, imagine a join pool where a single UTXO is controlled by four users, our, our normal ones, Alice, Bob, Carol, and Dan. Today, these four users can create a PT, sorry, a P2TR taproot output whose key path spend allows them to use a protocol like MUSIG2 to efficiently spend that output if they all participate in creating a signature. But if user Dan becomes unavailable or malicious, the only way for Alice, Bob, and Carol to maintain the privacy and efficiency advantages of remaining part of the join pool is to have prepared in advance with Dan a tree of pre-signed transactions not all of which need to be used, but all of which need to be ready to use to ensure complete fault tolerance. As the number of users sharing a UTXO increases, the number of pre-signed transactions that need to be created increases combinatorially, making the arrangement highly unscalable. Just 10 users require pre-signing over a million transactions. Holy shit. Other proposed opcodes such as TLove and OpCheckTemple template verify can eliminate the combinatorial explosion. OpEvict accomplishes the same, but the developers suggest it could be a superior option to those opcodes for this use case because it uses less on-chain data when removing members of the shared UTXO ownership group. 
If opevict were added in a soft fork, each member of the group could share a public key with the other members along with the signature for that key over an output paying the member the expected amount. Once each member had the pub keys and signatures for all other members, they could trustlessly construct an address allowing spending the funds in either of two different ways. Number one, using the taproot key path spend as described above, and two, using a script path spend for a tap script using the opevict code. In case of evicting Dan, the opcode would accept the following parameters. Shared pub key. The shared pub key of the whole group, which could be efficiently provided using a single byte reference to the template. <clears throat> number of evictions, which are the number of, number of join pool exit outputs to create. The eviction outputs, one, or sorry, uh, for the one output to Dan in this example, the data would provide its index position and Dan's signature for it. Dan's public key would be the same key used in the output he signed. And then finally, the evicted signature, a signature for a public key corresponding to the shared public key of the whole group minus the public keys used in the eviction outputs. In other words, a signature from the remaining members of the group, Alice, Bob, and Carol in this example. This would allow Alice, Bob, and Carol to spin the group UTXO at any time without Dan's cooperation by creating a transaction with the output Dan previously signed, providing Dan's signature for that output and providing a signature Alice, Bob, and Carol dynamically created over the entire spending transaction, which would cover the fees they chose to pay and allocate the remaining funds however they so choose. Opevict received a moderate amount of discussion on the mailing list as of this writing with no major concerns noted, but also roughly the same seemingly low level of enthusiasm which greeted the T-Love proposal last year. Releases and release candidates. So we're out of the Opevict part of it. Uh, BTC Pay Server 1.4.6 is this payment processing software's latest release. Since the last release covered by Optech, support has been added for CPFP fee bumping, the ability to use additional features of LN URLs plus multiple UI improvements. So there you go. There's the Opco or the uh, Optech newsletter for you. Now, getting back into general news, Infura sanctions fiasco shows fragility of non-Bitcoin crypto. Thankfully, somebody has written up this whole fiasco with MetaMask and Infura and uh, what uh, OpenSea uh, not servicing people from Russia and whatnot like that. So yeah, you know, let's get into it. For Nomsios is writing it, so it should be pretty good and informative. Bitcoin Magazine, as usual. Amid the growing momentum to ban Russia from international payment rails, the potential usage of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency by the country and its citizens to bypass sanctions from the U.S. and other nations has stirred polarizing takes. While some judge it to be impossible for Russia to leverage Bitcoin to go around financial restrictions, others have been concerned that this possibility could undermine Western countries' efforts to stop the Russian army by crippling its economy. Bitcoin, despite being a tangible alternative to Russian citizens who now may find themselves unable to send and receive money freely as their own country imposes capital controls to contain the damage of foreign sanctions, is unlikely to equally help the Eastern European nations and its oligarchs evade Western restrictions as noted by the Bitcoin Policy Institute. Quote, 
Bitcoin currently is far too small to replace the dollar and the euro as a trade currency, BPI said in a blog post. Quote, Russia's annual export total roughly $400 billion, which is around 50% of Bitcoin's current market, market capitalization. However, international regulators and politicians, including U.S. lawmakers and the German finance minister, have expressed concerns regarding the possibility of individuals and nations leveraging Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to evade sanctions and requested that legislation be used to take the burgeoning market under the umbrella of international financial restrictions. Given its peer-to-peer -peer nature, <clears throat> it is unlikely that any sanctions would affect users leveraging the Bitcoin network to send, receive, and store value as the enforcement of such restrictions would be nearly impossible. Regulators could leverage court orders to attempt to indirectly freeze Bitcoin funds sitting at specific Bitcoin addresses, a route taken by Canada, but if the right tools are used, such efforts would be made in vain. A possible point of exploit for Western sanctions to crack down on individuals using Bitcoin are custodial services like exchanges, who often need to abide by legislation, though some have ruled out unilaterally freezing accounts. But that's a limited surface area, as Bitcoin possesses a robust peer-to-peer -peer ethos with many possibilities for those interested in using unstoppable money. The same cannot be said for other cryptocurrencies, however. Earlier this week, MetaMask and Infura, two major services provider, service providers in the Ethereum ecosystem, began applying the latest U.S. sanctions, hurting a broad range of services and users as the majority of activity in the Ethereum network leverages the two as the most popular Ethereum wallet and infrastructure as a service provider, respectively. Although MetaMask is a self-custodial wallet, it leverages Infura's infrastructure to access the Ethereum network. Not only does it trust Infura in its API calls, but it also defaults all its users' wallets to using the same centralized uh, IAAS provider. Users have the choice to use their own infrastructure with MetaMask, but over 70% of Ethereum's nodes run on hosting rather than residential networks. Quote, many a web... Three's most remarkable projects, MetaMask, Argon, Gnosis, OpenZeppelin, and more, utilize Infura's APIs to connect their applications to the Ethereum network. And in doing so, Infura provides the fundamental infrastructure required to handle both the short-term spikes that can often occur during token launches and essential longer-term scaling solutions, Consensus, owner of both MetaMask and Infura, said in a blog post. It is true that not every Bitcoin user runs a node, and many keep their coins in a centralized exchange susceptible to seizure. However, the way service providers work in the Bitcoin ecosystem, especially wallets, ensures that there is usually more than one single IAAS provider handling interfacing with the Bitcoin network for those not running their own nodes. Additionally, in Bitcoin, there isn't a mastermind service behind nearly all network traffic that happens to be owned by an entity part of the group ahead of the entire network decisions. Therefore, although Bitcoin may currently be ill-suited to help nation-states evade sanctions, given its relatively small market capitalization, Ethereum may be ill-suited to reliably help even regular citizens, as most of its underpending infrastructure reveals to be susceptible to control by regulators worldwide. Yeah, they shut it down.
they completely folded. The guys over at Consensus completely folded, and they completely bent the knee to the United States regulators and European regulators and said, yeah, sure, we will completely destroy any ability of any Russian and any Russian address that we know about, and that's a lot, uh, ability to actually transact. So they, you, they all got screwed, dude. And that's an issue because Russia is going to start, uh, is basically going to start um, using, oh, what is it? Maybe we'll find, find out here, a different set of credit cards because Visa and MasterCard has joined PayPal in suspending Russian operations. Nicholas Day, Coindesk. Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal are all suspending operations in Russia. The companies announced Saturday, citing the country's ongoing invasion of Ukraine. Visa will be working to discontinue transactions in Russia, but it'll take a few days, according to a press statement. MasterCard said it would suspend all its network services in Russia, which sent military forces into Ukraine at the end of February. Once complete, all transactions initiated with Visa cards issued in Russia will no longer work outside the country, and any Visa cards issued by financial institutions outside of Russia will no longer work within the Russian Federation, said Visa's statement, which was attributed to Global Communications Vice President Andy Geralt, or Geralt. In the press release, Visa Incorporated's chairman and CEO, Al Kelly, said that the company was compelled to act following Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine and the unacceptable events that we have witnessed. We regret the impact that this will have on our valued colleagues and on the clients, partners, merchants, and cardholders we serve in Russia. This war and the ongoing threat to peace and stability demand we respond in line with our values. Oh, Jesus. Similarly, MasterCard said, in addition to blocking some R Russian financial institutions, that it will end support for any cards issued by Russian banks and block transactions from cards issued outside Russia but used at Russian merchants or ATMs. End quote. Earlier on Saturday, Ukrainian Vice Prime Minister Mikhailo Fedorov tweeted a letter sent by PayPal CEO Dan Shulman announcing a similar shutdown. Spokespeople for PayPal did not immediately return a request for comment, but reportedly told Reuters the shutdown would still ensure that account balances are dispersed in line with applicable laws, whatever the hell that means. Companies have been under public pressure to suspend operations in Russia due to its invasion of Ukraine. Crypto companies have, by and large, resisted calls for unilaterally blocking all Russian residents, despite entreaties from Ukrainian officials and lawmakers elsewhere. Uh, Jesse Powell, CEO of crypto exchange Kraken, said that the company would do so if legally compelled to. Ukraine has asked Coinbase, Binance, Huobi, KuCoin, Bybit, Gate.io, Whitebit, and Ukraine-based Kuna to block all Russian accounts. Russia's central bank said in a statement that Visa and MasterCard MasterCard cards would continue to work within Russia after the credit card processors announced their suspensions. Quote, operations on them are processed within the country in the national payment card system and sanctions do not affect them, the central bank said. Customer funds on accounts linked to such cards are fully preserved and available. End quote. Cross-border transactions are not expected to work. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's... I can't remember the name of the Chinese credit card system that they're going to use, but what's happening is that Russia's having to lean on China and they're having to lean on China more and more and more and more and more. And now I wonder, 
At first, when this whole thing broke out, I was saying that Putin would have had to have known how bad the sanctions were going to be. Now I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm just not. Is it possible that Putin has made a grave mistake and literally just did not understand the, the, the seriousness and the rapid response of the situation that he finds himself in now. You got like all Western companies that they were depending on have basically all said, screw off. Now, the only friends that Russia has is China. So as the entire Russian Federation just hangs in the balance, they're literally hanging on one thread. And China is gonna end up having to step up to the plate again and again and again. And my question becomes, at what point does President Xi decide enough? You can't suck from the tit anymore and completely cuts off Russia. And what does that mean? I don't know. I literally don't know, but it is a complete mess, right? I mean, a complete mess. And it gets worse because crypto exchange FTX announces expansion into Europe. Why does that make it worse? It kind of makes it worse for China if as long as China is going to support Russia as their finances basically become terminated, what you have is like NATO, an expansion of crypto all around the borders of China and Russia. All right. Now in this case, it's just Europe. So now what we, what we're seeing is that the old school financial system that they're going to rely on in China and Russia is going to also have their own war between Bitcoin and God forbid crypto and what's left of legacy financial systems because they can't use any of the West legacy financial systems anymore. So they're going to be literally all, they're all just going to try to do the digital one and all that kind of shit. And here we have FTX who's announcing expansion into Europe. Just like NATO is expand, you know, is part of Europe and continuously expanded to the east, and got right on Russia's border, which is one of the, apparently one of the reasons why Putin got all pissed off. But whatever. So now we got FTX encroaching like NATO was encroaching on Russia at the same time that the Western legacy financial system went away for Russia. So this is actually, I think. This is actually a lot bigger piece of news than we think. And we don't need to get into it. It's just that understand that FTX is a behemoth at this point. They're buying full stadiums. They're buying ads on the Super Bowl. And here they are about to plop down right in Europe. So that's going to be an interesting situation. Now, <clears throat> remember how they said that in one of those news stories about uh, cutting Russian addresses off from use for quote unquote crypto. Coinbase has done it. Coinbase proposes crypto a tech. Sorry, hold on. Nope, nope. I want to do this one for I want to do this one, not that one. Coinbase blocks over 25,000 addresses linked to illicit Russian activity. So the naked mole rat has bent the knee to European and US regulators. Coinbase has said it's blocked over 25,000 addresses related to Russian individuals and entities believed to be engaged in illicit activity. 
The exchange added that these accounts were identified through its own proactive investigations and that the addresses have been shared with the United States government to further sanctions enforcement. Quote, in the past few weeks, governments around the world have imposed a range of sanctions on individuals and territories in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Sanctions play a vital role in promoting national security and deterring unlawful aggression. And Coinbase fully supports these efforts <clears throat> by government authorities. Coinbase's chief legal officer, <clears throat> Paul Gruel, said in a blog post today, Gruel's blog post said, Coinbase aims to play its part in supporting the critical economic sanctions. Do I need to go on? If you have, if you have any money or any, any crypto at all, I'm going to say it crypto, spe specifically for you, for the Bitcoiners out there, if you've got actual Bitcoin, get it off now. If you guys have like shit coins on there, get it off now. Because at one point or another, you know, the, you may be going raw, raw, they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Okay. What happens when it's you? What happens when it's you? Are you going to be saying, yay, I'm so glad that Naked Molarat has basically, you know, absconded with all my money. No, you're not. You're going to be pissed off and they're going to do it. They're going to do it. If you, if you have anything to do with Coinbase, Kraken, any of the major exchanges, FTX included, all of them, you've got to get your shit off those exchanges. If you just have to scratch that itch to trade, then throw your shit on there when you want to trade. I know that that doesn't really help you because you need fast actions, but if your stuff is on, if your stuff is on those exchanges and they decide to point the finger at you, they're going to bend the knee to the United States government faster than, than anything you've ever seen before. It's only been like a couple of weeks and here we have Coinbase already saying, yes, sir. So just please, please, please be aware. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. Once upon a time, there was a king who was only 12 inches tall. He was a terrible king, but he made a great ruler. <laughs> okay, tipping me. Tipping, T-I-P-P-I-N dot me, at ghost of Nunya, all one word. Use the at sign and uh you can throw me a tip on there. Podcasting 2.0, my favorite, and it's actually kind of exciting to see those stats roll in, but definitely my favorite and I think the most exciting way to support this show. Also, lastly, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. Um, I uh, appreciate and honor all of the support that I've gotten. I hope that I was able to uh, give the people that asked me to put stuff into the show to help co-produce it. I hope that you found it to your liking. If you did not, then help me co-produce the show and tell me how I screwed it up or how I could do it better or where I could better place it in the show. See what I mean? It's like, it's not just, hey, do this. It's like, okay, I did it, but within an hour show, I put it here. 
if you want it somewhere else or you think I could do it better or there's something else that you want to hear, please, please, please let me know. DMs on Twitter are open. That is at Ghost of Nunya on Twitter, at Ghost of Nunya on Twitter, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.